0: Last week I drew this this um, thing on the board, and actually we have these two. If you weren't here last week, you need to come get one of these. They're also free, uh, and it's this it's, this is our method of of interpretation. The way we the reason we the way we interpret the Bible, we start with this step. What does it mean to them? And we try to figure out what's the author's intended meaning. How do we do that? Well, we look at historical background. Um, last week. Drew walked us through a little bit of the history of 2 Corinthians and he and and why Paul wrote it what was going on in the letter there was lots of traveling back and forth there's there's lots of communication back and forth we actually think that 2 Corinthians isn't the second letter written to them it's the possibly the fourth letter written so there's a lot of things that, a lot of um, correspondence going back and forth and and so we we learned a little bit of the background we learned a little bit of the situation there in Corinth and there's three things that I want to point out that help us understand what's going on. First one is that Paul's writing to defend his ministry, uh, more, more so than most of his letters. He's writing with a little bit of a, uh, he's, he's on the defense. There's been some accusations about him, and so he's defending his God-given authority and his apostleship to lead them. And, and his main point is that weakness and suffering aren't signs that it's not true, Actually, weakness and suffering in under this new covenant ministry are are vehicles for God's power and strength to come through. And so he, he gets into that. Um, he's also dealing with people who discredit him specifically because of the hardships that he goes through. And so they think, well, wow, look at all the things that Paul's going through. It, like, bad things are happening in his life. There's no way God is with him if bad things are happening to him. And so he comes in to de- to defend that and say... No, actually, that's quite the opposite. Uh, and then um, not only he was experiencing hardships and, and suffering, but some of his people were too, just by nature of being Christians in this, in this really pagan culture. And so they were experiencing some of the things he was experiencing. So he writes all that kind of in the background when he sits down to write them this letter. So that's one thing, historical context. The other thing is literary context, and that's what I'm going to walk through today. I'm just going to walk down through the text, we're going to read just a couple verses at a time. I'm going to explain what these verses are saying and some of the maybe um, help you understand some of the words, the key words that are, that are being used, and, and what Paul is saying. So it's in, in order to know how to apply the Bible, you need to know what it means. In order to know what it means, you need to know what it says. And so we're going to talk about, here's what, here's what Paul is saying. Here's what we think he means. And then Drew later on will get up and talk through what does it mean to us. So the second step, after we, we talk about what it means to them, is what does this mean for everyone at all times? What's, this, what's the, kind of the bigger principle? What's the universal truth that's happening? And then we, we kind of walk through that, and then we can come down here to step three and say, what does this mean to us today in 20, 2017? How is this significant? So that's what I'm going to do. It, here, here's what I think Paul is doing right from the very beginning, Um, he starts his letter different than he starts most of his other letters. Uh, He's going to give us, in in these next eight verses, he's going to give us, um, it's not eight, I think it's nine, but anyway, uh, he's going to give us four reasons why Paul praises God for the suffering that he's experienced in ministry. So, four reasons why Paul is praising God for suffering is what we're going to get. Today, and the first one's found in the first couple of verses. I need a reader who will read verses 3 and 4. Sarah Taylor would love to do that. Read loud, please. One Just uh, no, okay. verses 3 and
1: 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God.
0: Okay, so I have a lot of history with these verses. These verses are verses that I come back to all the time um, personally, but then also whenever I'm talking to somebody who's going through a difficult time, these are verses I, I go to. These are, my, these are my go-to verses to, to help me see how does, how does what's God's position and what's his posture towards us in the midst of hardships. And right off the bat, he says, praise or blessed be the God. Um, so he starts with this. Um, worshipful, praising God for um, for who He is, and uh, most of his letters start start off thanking God for the people. Paul starts off thanking God for what He's done in his life. So, it, it, if you if you were to count, I think I counted them up. There's like 31 pronouns. Um, the word "us," "we," "our," is used in these nine verses, 31 different times. So, Paul's Right off the bat, talking about himself and the guys that are with him, the ministry team that he's doing with, or, or the apostles that he's talking about. So he's focusing a lot on himself, and it's not just to focus on himself, but it's ultimately to, to focus on what God has done and is doing in them. So he says, Praise be the, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he identifies with the, cor- the, the Corinthians. He says, Listen, Jesus is our Lord. He, he, he right off the bat, is saying, we're in this together. If, you, if Jesus is your Lord, we're in this together. Um, he says, he calls him the Father of mercies and, and the Lord of, or sorry, the God of all comfort. Um, this, this Father of mercies, it, it rings of several things throughout the Old Testament. I'll just read one verse, actually a couple verses from Psalm 103. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. So, whenever we're studying the Bible and we're trying to figure out what does this mean to them, you've got to recognize that a a lot of the first-century church would have had a pretty decent understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. And so, when Paul says things like he's the God of, he's the Father of mercy, they're they're drawing on all the verses that they know from the Old Testament that talk about the mercy of God. Um, and so that's, that's part of it. They, there was, there was a, an assumed knowledge there that, that we honestly don't, most of us don't have. And he says, the God of all comfort. Now, this word comfort need needs quite a bit of, of time spent on it because it's a big word. Um, the word actually appears 31 times in the New Testament. Um, Paul, uses the word, specifically Paul, 25 times. So he uses it more than anybody else. And then of the 25 times, 17 of them are in 2 Corinthians. So you could say that in a lot of ways, this, this chapter, this book, 2 Corinthians, is, is a book of comfort. It's a, a book of comfort. So what does the word comfort mean? What's, when you think of the word comfort, what do you think of? And what's interesting is, just in 2 Corinthians alone, Here's all the different ways, same Greek word, but all the different ways this word is used, okay, in the ESV. If you just, if you picked your translation and you, if you went to this, actually I'll write this down, down, because this is a great resource. Um, There's an app. It's Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible. There's an app, BLB. Uh, If you type in Blue Letter Bible in your app store or whatever, you'll find this. But it If you type in 2 Corinthians and then you click on the... There's lots of tools. It's really cool. You click on this verse and you click on the word comfort. It can actually tell you the Greek word. It'll tell you all the places it shows up in the New Testament. But just in 2 Corinthians alone, here's the words. Here's how they're used. Um, Urge. Beg. Appeal. Entreat. Plead. And then comfort. And then also, well, the word encourage is not used specifically but i think the word encourage best sums up all the other like the meaning of this word so when we think of comfort we think of maybe compassion the compassionate side of comfort coming alongside but when paul's using this word he he really means something bigger than just sympathizing or empathizing with somebody's pain it's it's more so it's that's part of it but there's also a, an urge, a, a, an appeal, a, an encouragement, a, a giving of courage to somebody. Um, uh, one definition of encouragement. Emboldening another in belief or course of action. So giving, encouraging boldness in a direction or a course of action. Listen to one one uh, scholar said as he kind of summed up Paul's understanding of comfort. He said that the comfort... That Paul has in mind is not a tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one's heart, mind, and soul. He says, comfort relates to encouragement, um, help, or exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with, catch this, with unbending resolve and unending assurance. So that's a little different than just, "Hey, I'm sorry you're going through a difficult time." It's God is the God of all comfort. And he's not just going to come alongside and and say, "Hey, it's okay. I'm sorry you're going through this." He sympathizes, you know, the Bible talks about how Jesus faced every struggle and every temptation that we face, yet was without sin. And so Jesus understands the pain and suffering he was Murdered on a cross, and so he, he he gets it. But the God of all comfort is—it's not just—it's not just, it's not just um, uh, lifting one's spirit, but it's strengthening strengthening them for the journey that's ahead. And that's key. And he says all comfort. So the word all in the Greek means all. Pretty simple. Didn't, that, that didn't take much. Um, I'm a professional, so you know, just. Leave that stuff up to me. But every it says every... So think about this idea that he, he's not just saying God is a comforting God. He's saying God is a God of all encouragement. I'll, I'll just use that word. God is a God of all encouragement. And so in other words, it, it it covers every possible difficulty that you could face. That's what he's describing there. And that literally is, the, is why he uses the word. If you look at the structure, it's, what he's saying is, it covers all of it, all of the all of the difficulties that you can face. God can bring courage in all of it. He is, um, he is the supreme encourager. So that's a little bit of that word. So whenever we're studying to understand what it means, what it means to them, a lot of times words that we use today don't really line up with the way they use the words. We we have this English word, and there's there's it's a rich, deeper, fuller meaning back then sometimes, a lot of times. Verse 4, he talks about how uh, that this, this merciful and encouraging God comforts us in every kind of difficulty and affliction so that, okay, there's a big purpose to it, so that we'll begin to pass on what He has given us. God, in His consistency of character and His faithfulness to Paul, enables Paul to pass on encouragement to others so you have this this um, equation so to speak that Paul's suffering plus God's comfort equals others comfort that, that God's uh, so that Paul's suffering plus God's encouragement to him equal equals others being encouraged by him and and Paul says that is awesome and, and so we see him being this conduit of God's God's encouragement and comfort to the church. And the affliction that he faces, we don't know exactly what it is. I'll talk about that here in a second. But the affliction that he faces doesn't matter. It's actually kind of worth it to Paul when he, when he sees what's happening as a result of it. Now think about that. Have you ever, have you ever thought of the trials and the difficulties that you go through as like, this is a good thing. This is good. like God's going to do so much in this. There's so much to this. There's, there's, there's lots to be learned. There's lots to be given. And that seems to be Paul's attitude. And so Paul begins this letter praising God for the very thing that the opponents um, wanted to use to discredit him. He uses to to say, no, I thank God and I praise God for um, his suffering. And so one of the, the first reason why Paul praises God for suffering in ministry is that God's comfort results in Paul comforting others. That God's, Encouraging comfort results in in Paul encouraging others. So read 5 through 7. Sarah. Um, For just as we share
1: abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort accounts through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings so also you share in our comfort.
0: Okay. So Paul says, not only is this helpful for me to pass on the comfort that I've received. Notice that it's not just it's not just Paul gets to encourage somebody. It's Paul gets to take what God has given him and pass it on. So Paul doesn't get to take any credit for that. He's just a conduit of it, but in in doing this, there are several things that that are produced um, in this, and the first one is they get to share in Christ's suffering and comfort. Um, so think about uh, Paul, or Paul—I always call him this. It's not—it's not—it's not even close. Drew, um, wherever he is, Drew said this last week because he talked about Paul and he talked about a little bit of his history. Those of you who don't know, he used to be Saul, this this Pharisee of Pharisees, who was the leading church persecutor, and then Jesus, like shows up, blinds him on the road to Damascus, gets his attention, and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's kind of an interesting idea. And, and Paul says, uh, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. And it could have, Paul, Saul could have easily said, no, I'm not, not you, I'm going after your, your people. And what Jesus seems to identify and link is, when you go after your, my people, you go after me. When you when you attack my church, you attack me. And so um, an assault on other believers is an assault on Jesus. And so Paul says, when I experience suffering and the comfort that comes in, as a result of that from God, I get to share in the same suffering that Jesus experienced and the comfort that he experienced as well. They get to identify with Christ. And then the other one is, he says, um, where is it, in 6, he says, it is for your comfort and salvation. He says, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. The word salvation literally means deliverance from. Um, deliverance from things like the world, or from sin, or from death. Um, and so, he says, yeah, I, I experience suffering, and, and you get saved. That's That's how this works. And so, for that reason, it's worth it. Um, every time Paul uses this idea of salvation, he's always referring to the salvation that Christ brings, the deliverance that Christ brings because of the gospel in the New Testament. So we know why Paul used that word, and, and those are the other. One of the things up here that, that's, that you, whenever you're kind of walking through these steps, is to look at parallel passages, to look at words and how they're used, and, and ideas and how they're used throughout other, other verses in the Bible, just to help you understand, okay, what's a bigger principle that's happening here the other thing he says in verse 7 is our hope for you is unshaken so now that he sees he gets to experience the same suffering that Christ and, and, and comfort that Christ had he and when he suffers they receive encouragement salvation but then also when they suffer for him or when they are comforted because he's comforted he he feels a link with them he has hope in them and it says um, he has this hope that is unshaken. Paul's suffering in ministry caused them to stand with him and experience suffering too, resulting in, in what they received. And this gave Paul hope. So the, the second reason Paul praises God for suffering in ministry is, is that it resulted in salvation and unshakable hope for the church. So he goes, man, I, this, is, this suffering thing is not, it's not a weakness. It's not a sign that God's not with me. If anything, it is quite the opposite. People are, 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 are saved, are being encouraged. Um, there's greater hope because of the things that I'm going through. And then, and then it kind of turns a corner a little bit in verse 8. And Paul switches from this, this worshipful praise about all the things that are happening, all the good things that are coming from his suffering, to getting a little more specific, a little more vulnerable with, with what's going on. So read 8 through 10.
1: We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will
0: continue to deliver us. Okay. So he starts off and he says, now, uh, this the way this is worded is kind of awkward. I don't know how it's worded um, in your translation. The ESV says it's kind of different. It says, um, so, so we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It almost sounds like Paul is being a little melodramatic. Um, but, but what he's, what he's doing when he says, I do not want you to be unaware. I want, you to, I want you to understand what's happening. He's not saying, hey, maybe you didn't know, so I just want to inform you. He's actually saying, no, you knew about this, but you took it lightly. That's one, one translation has that, that phrase. don't want you to take this lightly. What he's saying is, no, th- this was a big deal. What, what we went through for you um, and for the gospel was a really big deal. And I want you to understand the implications of it. So he's, he's drawing attention to it and letting them in on some things that he's personally going through. Now, we don't exactly know what this affliction that he's talking about or if it's just one thing or if it's like his, his just life experience or ministry. It sounds like he's referring to something that happened after he was in Corinth. One thing that we know that happened after he was in Corinth, if you read Acts 19, Acts 18 is when Paul goes to Corinth, Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus, and it says he started a riot in Ephesus. Now, he didn't start a riot just to start a riot. He was preaching the truth, and some came along and said, Hey, this Paul, he's, many are following him, and it's causing issues. And they, there was this big riot, and, uh, and several were taken. And Paul tried to get in the middle of it, but his, his people wouldn't let him. Uh, and so we don't know exactly if anything happened to him or to others during, during, They didn't say specifically. Um, we know that in chapter 11, Paul goes on and on about uh, some of the things that he's experienced. And some of the things listed there, we'll get to in chapter 11, are things that we aren't recorded in Acts, and we don't exactly know when he experienced it, we just know he did. We know he was stoned almost to death, in fact, they all thought he was dead, so they walked away, and then his disciples gathered around him and he popped right back up. Um, we know we know he was shipwrecked, we know he was flogged, we know all these things, but it lists other things that we didn't exactly know. So um, it, the three things that, that some, of the, some of the scholars say could have been um, psychological stress, um, illness of some sort, or, or just flat physical harm and persecution. And it sounds like from what he's describing, it's more of that last one um, to me. But uh, we, we don't exactly know. So he says, we were so utterly burdened that we despaired of life. In other words, he's saying, um, we really thought we were going to die. And, and so I want to ask this question, why would God allow someone like Paul, someone who's serving him, someone who's doing the right thing, why would God allow someone like him to go through what he went through, to suffer this much, to almost die? Um, how could that ever be a good thing? And Paul says, that was a good thing. Listen, did you catch what he said did you, did you catch the reason why he thinks they went through that did you catch it it's in verse nine what's the reason on him. yeah so they would rely on God so we went through this so that we would rely on God we thought we were going to die and it and it, it we got to the point where we realized we can't do anything like we're we are utterly we are um, utterly helpless, and, and, it, and, it, and it forced them and it caused them to turn to God and say, I forget you're the one that can raise the dead. Like, we may die, but you're the one that can raise the dead. You're the only one we can have hope in through this situation. And for Paul, it took that, it sounds like, it took that for, for him to get to that point, to, to just totally rely on God. And so for Paul, it was worth it. It reminded him that not only God um, uh, reminded him only God can be relied on for life and deliverance, um, that if they died, God could raise the dead. Um, that all other times, like Paul was reminded of all the other times that God delivered him from, from harm and from death. and it also birthed a real hope, the kind of hope that's deep, I believe, deep down. Um, for God to do it all over again, and that God can do it, and He does. And so the third reason is the third reason why Paul praises God for suffering in ministry is that he was forced to rely on on God as his only hope. Um, and then verse eleven. So this is the, the last reason, is that through their prayers, many will give thanks to God. Through their prayers, many will give thanks to God. So it's kind of interesting. Paul, Paul usually starts his letters telling the church how he is praying for them, and he starts this letter asking them to pray for him. It's kind of an interesting um, twist. And the word, the word, there's a word that's in the Greek that's not actually in our, in our translations, the word faces. Faces. Um, I think the ESV says, so that many will give thanks. It literally says, so that many faces will, will give thanks to God. It's almost like Paul's saying, he pictures, as, as, as the people pray for him, word will get out, comfort will, will spread, and, and, uh, and many faces will, will turn to God and give thanks. And for Paul, that's a win. Like, if i got to go through something to cause many to give thanks to God, then it is a huge win for Paul. So, Paul, in the end, inter- um, Paul ends this introduction the same way he starts. He starts by praising God for who he is and what he's gone through. He ends by, by saying, and many will praise God and thank God for, for what he's done. So, four, that's the four reasons. Um, we're going to take a couple minute break, and then Drew's going to get up and, and jump into this idea of think about this. There's a man in the first century who had an understanding of God, okay? He had an understanding of who God was. How did he have that understanding? And, and what did it do in his life? And his name was Paul. And it clearly changed his life, and it changed the course of many people's lives. In fact, you and I are here most likely because of his ministry. And so Drew's going to get up and talk a little bit about Paul's understanding of God. Great.
2: What there.
0: The, yeah. Do you just have them? Yeah. What do you want?
2: Number one was resulting in salvation.
0: One was resulting in Paul's comforting others. Two is salvation. Two is salvation for the church.
2: Three is resulting in relying on God.
0: Three is. Yep, forced to rely on God.
2: And then the fourth one was
0: praise him. Others will praise him.
2: With that, did I hear wait? Okay, one, one, one more announcement. If you play an instrument or sing and want to help with worship, contact me or Caleb after this. Not a lot of people signed up,
1: so text us and we'll put you on a
2: team. Wow. All right. Sweet. If you would like to help with worship stuff, come talk to Haley afterwards or Caleb. Um all right let's get going. So I too Paul uh, man now I'm calling Scott Paul. It's all over the place. Um Scott mentioned that he has kind of a connection to this verse um, to this passage of scripture and he's not the only one. I do too. I discovered this verse in high school and and loved it specifically verses 3 and 4. Um really kind of grabbed the hold of me. And so um I was in this group. Um, I was in a few different groups in high school. I was in a few Christian bands that were awesome, and um, and then, they are not, And then no, it it gets way cooler than that. I was also in a video that did. Uh, sorry, not a video. I was in a group that did human videos. I don't know if anybody has any idea what human videos are. Human videos are basically, it's it. Okay, this is the cool way to describe it. It's like a live music video. Okay, the uncool and more realistic way to describe it is um, Christian miming to music. Okay? And uh, so I was in a Christian mime group. Um, we never called ourselves that, fortunately. And, and there are, um, I would show you a video, except for as far as I know, they don't exist anymore. And two, I would have to kill every one of you after you saw it, um, because it really is. I think back on some of the stuff we did, and like, I don't know if you ever do this. Sometimes I can just be sitting in a chair and I can think about it and just start like blushing, and just um, so it's that bad. But um, I came up with our with our cool Christian video, human video group name, which was, of course, conflict resolution, and and I. And I, I, but I based it, I made it so we had church, So Conflict Resolution, and it said under there, Second Corinthians 1 3 through 4. Um, and it was that idea, of praise be to the guy, and I don't really see now how it connected all that much, but at the time it seemed to totally connect. So that has nothing to do with where I'm going tonight, just figured I'd let you into the world of Drew a little bit there. Um, all right, now we'll get started. Uh, so, so about 10 years ago, Uh, A friend of ours who was actually serving as the children's minister at Sunnybrook at the time, Uh, her name is Julie Davis and she still goes to Sunnybrook, I think uh, yeah, she'd be okay with me telling you this. Um, About 10 years ago, Julie's mother passed away and and it was it was kind of a difficult period obviously when you lose a parent a difficult period in in her life and and Julie was the one kind of in the family who did i think a lot of the work to try and get like the funeral together and 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 make all those things happen and make all those things work and so in the middle of sadness there's all this extra effort she's doing on behalf of the family and and after the funeral Um, was over, she was standing out in the lobby of the church, and a friend of hers came up to her and said, hey, Julie, listen, this has been really hard for you, and and this has been a really difficult time, I know, and so I just want to encourage you, sister, that that you would, um, at this point, take some time to focus on yourself. Um, th- now is the time to actually focus on you after you have put so much effort into trying to focus on other people and take care of other people and make everything right. It- it's a time for you to kind of settle in, relax, focus on you for a bit. And the lady walked away and, and uh, my friend, whose name rhymes with Schmim Schmampson, overheard this. And uh, he-, he came up to Julie and said, hey, listen. I know what she's trying to say to you, and I appreciate her heart, but you need to know that that's poison. Um, you need to know that, like, actually, that's one of the worst things you could do at this point is, is become inward focused during this time and, and, and make things about you in this moment. And, and, and what Jim's saying is actually is true. Uh, that that 's not what we 're designed for to be inward focus, and so our lives and our uh, souls don 't work properly when we become inward focused, when we focus on us. Um, but it is naturally the most common response to suffering. The most common response in times of difficulty and tragedy is to focus on me," and sometimes that takes the form of pity pot parties. Sometimes that takes the form of simply, we talk about, you just need to take care of yourself." at this moment, kind of taking care of me. Um, Sometimes that takes um, the form of trying to come to peace with the things that are around me, kind of internally. I can't control everything around me, but internally I can come to peace with where I'm at. I can come to peace with what's happening around me. Sometimes we talk about, and people love to talk about this, um, using those difficult things to make ourselves stronger. Every every college football team you ever hear interviewed at the end of any win will talk about how much adversity they had to overcome. We've overcome a lot of adversity this season. And every every team wants to to, to kind of say that things have been really hard that they've had to overcome to do. And it seems like that's like a, a big trend for like pop stars now too, is to talk about how like the hard things you've done to me have, are making me stronger now. And, and, and that's a really big deal that, that even in those where, where it sounds like actually we're talking about something healthy, um, I'm going to take the difficulty in me and I'm going to press through and I'm going to come out on the other side a better person. I'm going to come out a stronger person. Even that is still a me-focused view. Like I said, it's only natural. It's what we most naturally do, and and it's viewed at not only as okay, but often as right, often as healthy, often as the right thing to do. If there is anybody, though, who has experience with suffering and knows what that is and knows what that's like, it is the Apostle Paul. We told you last week about his calling, how he had been, I'm sorry, yeah, last week about how he had been a persecutor of the church, but God confronted him on the road to Damascus. And in that moment, Jesus confronts Saul, at the time as he's called, and tells him, why are you persecuting me? And he says, I want you to go into town and I want you to find a man named Ananias. And Ananias is going to pray over you and he's going to speak the truth to you. And, And so... Jesus says that to Paul, and at the same time, Jesus then goes and shows up to Ananias and tells him, I want you to go meet, I want you to go meet Saul. I want you to go pray over him, and, and Ananias is like, uh, no thanks. Um, I've heard about that dude. I, I know why he's coming here. He's coming here for guys like me. And, and God says, no, go to him because I've got plans for him. And this is what he says in Acts 9, verses 15 through 16. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And this becomes Paul's... Uh, almost calling card from there on out this becomes like the definition of what his ministry is is one who suffers for the name of Jesus um, and and so he is well familiar with it as as Scott began to mention to you all the different ways that Paul has suffered um, in his life and in his ministry on a regular basis and against the regular practice of modern coping mechanisms and of modern um, personal encouragement. Paul does not look inward on himself in suffering. He chooses, first of all, we see to look to others. But beyond and even greater than that, maybe I shouldn't have said first of all, first and foremost, and great greatest is he looks to God in his suffering. Um, but I don't mean that in some just generic sense. That when he's struggling, he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, God's got this. I'm gonna trust God. God is good. No, I mean that Paul believes very specific things about God that enable him to respond the way that he does. Paul believes, trusts, and looks to very real, specific things that enable him to continue on, to continue living a life that suffers for the name of Jesus. And and I want to share some of those with you that that I think he hits on in this passage here. Um, There's probably a number of things we could say. I want to talk about five. So, Scott gave you four, so I decided I'm going to do one better than him. Um, Five things that Paul believes about God and suffering. Those two things coming together. Um, First, Paul believes this that God is sovereign. Throughout this whole passage, we see that God, or that, that Paul believes that God can allow and sometimes maybe even cause or bring about suffering in our lives. He believes that God can deliver him from suffering. He believes that God can comfort him in his suffering. And he believes that God can use suffering for the benefit of others. Paul believes, ultimately, that no matter what is going on in his life, that God is in control over it. That he, um, that he is ultimately in charge. He is ultimately sovereign. Now, this is important. We do not know, and Paul rarely touches up very much against, the Bible doesn't really do this, um, doesn't get super specific about the level of God's involvement in every area of suffering. There are some points in the Bible where it makes pretty clear that God you know, ca- strikes Herod down and causes him to die. Strikes Ananias and Sapphira down, causes them to die. Um, we know that there are times where the Bible says God causes suffering. There are other times when it does not sound at all like God is the primary cause of someone's suffering, but that He does, as the one in control, allow it. And so we need to be careful anytime we try to make absolute statements about God made this happen or didn't make this happen. I am convinced of this truth that God is not the primary cause of suffering. Um, that is a result of people's sin. Um, some of you have suffered because of wicked things that wicked people have done to you. And, and I do not chalk that up to God. James 1.15 says um, that God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt. God does not lead people to sin against you. I, I believe that. Um, But I I do believe that God allows sometimes very difficult things in our life, allows even sinful people to go on sinning, and sometimes that brings um, suffering in our own lives. And so Paul is deeply aware of this. Admittedly, um, when I say this, Paul is deeply aware of this, and it is a huge comfort to him that God is sovereign over his suffering sometimes allowing his suffering, sometimes perhaps even causing his suffering. Paul is comforted by that. Now, I admit that would not be the case. This idea of a God who is in control of everything and yet I still suffer would not seem like a very comforting idea if it weren't for the second thing that Paul believes, and that is this, that God is good. Paul calls God here in this passage the Father of mercies, Um, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Um, He believes we're the God of all, as as Scott said, the God of all encouragement. That this is, Paul believes, who God is at his core. A God of mercy and a God of comfort. This is kind of important even for us to be able to to understand like um, our actions um, as human beings, the things we do, our actions flow from um, our character so we do things because of who we are inside my the, the person I am is what causes me to live the way that I do but this is also actually true that as human beings our actions then shape our character as well so my character causes me to do certain things but the more I do certain things the more that begins to form a habit which then eventually begins to shape my character um scott even said at the beginning we want to talk about giving to people in need and as we give towards things we can find our love growing towards those things um this is not true of god actually the first part is true the second part is not what god does always flows from his character but god's character is never shaped by his actions or yours So it's not as though the more he loves, the more loving he becomes. It is not as though the more trying I am and the the more sinful I am that eventually his patience um, shifts and he becomes a less patient person who can't deal with me as much. it, It doesn't work that way. God's character remains the same consistently across the board. And and so what Paul recognizes is that God is and has always been good and he can trust him in that he can trust whatever is happening because God's character is not shaped or changed or altered over time. God's character and his goodness is perhaps most uh, best displayed or most obviously displayed in the gospel. This is something that Paul talks about. This is what he says in Titus 3. Titus 3, verses 3 through uh, 7, I think is where we'll go. Um, Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Paul says, it did not matter what I was. It did not matter what you were. It doesn't matter how awful you were. That's not what shaped God's response to you. God's response flowed out of his character and in spite of your sin, in his goodness and in his loving kindness and in his mercy, Paul says God was good to us. And Paul says, I trust that that same God will still be good to me, even in the moments of my greatest suffering. So he believes that he is sovereign and he believes that he is good. I should pause real quick. I meant to say this at the beginning. We're here right now. So we... Scott has mentioned to us, he wanted to walk us through and help us understand the scripture, the text, in its specific context. Right now we're talking about what are principles that this text teaches us that are true for all people in all times and all places. So what I just said, God is good and his character does not change. The same mercy and loving kindness he shows to Paul and to Titus, that same God, that same character flows from him today. And we can trust that. Number three, Paul believes that God's encouragement and peace cannot be outpaced by our suffering. Let me say that again. Paul believes that God's encouragement to us, that the comfort he gives us, can never be outpaced or outmatched by our suffering. What I mean by that, or actually, let me just I'll, I'll read in verses five and seven here. He says in verse five. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comforts too. Notice he believes that this isn't just generically given, it comes through Jesus. But he says, no matter how abundant my sufferings are, the, the comfort that comes through Jesus is just as abundant, always matches it and more. And he'll say in verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. So Paul trusts that the encouragement and the peace that God offers to his people never gets outdone by our suffering. Um, that our, um, that our, the, the encouragement that is provided to us through Jesus will always be enough to sustain us. Here's how he says it in another verse. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, and if you've been here long enough, you've heard us talk about it. Um, And if you haven't been here, you've you've heard it talked about in youth group or on commercials or whatever else. Or not commercials, but, you know, athletes in post-game interviews. Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, which is often used as this verse talking about how you know if I just trust, if I just believe, if I just kind of focus in and trust Jesus, he's going to help me to accomplish whatever's laid out in front of me. He's going to help me accomplish my task. He's going to help us take state this year, Um, right? And and that's kind of the idea. But but as Scott said, no, we, we want to pay attention to the historical context when we read, and we want to pay attention to the literary context when we read. So with the historical context is Paul is writing this as he is in chains for the gospel, as he has been imprisoned on behalf of the gospel. And the literary context is he's talking about how he has been facing needs recently and how the Philippians have been trying to help him and send him money, but he talks about how he's able to be content no matter what. Here's what it says, Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. What he means by that is you have you, you've sent me money to help out with my needs. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. That is, they didn't have a chance to give money to him yet. Then he says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance... I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And this is the secret. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul says not that I can accomplish anything. I can break loose from these chains. I can get out and be a free man through Him who strengthens me. That's not what that verse is saying. What that verse is saying is no matter what I face, freedom or chains... Um, plenty or hunger, abundance or need, Jesus himself is enough to sustain me through it. That, That I can trust in him to encourage me, to strengthen me, to give me the peace to be able to face any situation that I am. I can face all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Number four, Paul believes this, that God does not waste our suffering. That God is always willing and always able to use our suffering for a greater purpose. For something bigger than just that moment. This is another famous verse. And, and um, I think the context helps on this as well. Romans 8, 28. Um, uh, sorry, I'm on the wrong page here. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That God uses all things and works them together for His goodness. But what is the good? What is the good that He's talking about? He's not talking about if you wreck your car, God's going to cause you to get a better car. He's not talking about if you lose your job, God's got a better job coming for you. No, He says what the good is in the very next verse. Verse 29, um, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is the good that no matter what happens, God is able to use it for the greatest thing that could possibly happen in your life and that is you become more like Jesus. That God doesn't waste those things. That, that anything that you go through, any bit of suffering or difficulty, if you are a follower of Jesus, is not pointless. It is not. It, now listen, you can choose to respond in such a way that it becomes pointless. You can choose to, um, to, to live instead in bitterness towards God or towards other people or towards life in general. You can choose to respond in ways that it becomes pointless. But God is always at work to make you more like his son in that, and to, um, to to use even some of the most difficult things for your good. Um, this is how Paul describes it here in our passage, verses 4 through 6, who, um, that God is a God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So not only does Paul say he does it for us, he also does it for others, He might allow me to suffer so that others might be able to see God in it, so that others might receive comfort and encouragement through the way God works in my life as a result of that. And then on down in 9 that Scott read to you, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Um, He uses these things to make them, yeah, not uh, trust in themselves, but on God. I'll say this. If you are a Christian, God does not send suffering to destroy you. Um, As your child, uh, as his child, he is for you. Now, he may let suffering destroy your situation. He may let suffering destroy your body. He may let suffering destroy um, your home. Like difficult things may happen, but he does not allow, um, he does not come to destroy you. He does come to destroy your self-confidence. He does, he is okay with, and even I think willing to, aiming for, destroying your self-reliance. Because that is the greater good for you. That you would stop trusting. It's, It's not about that you've got all this strength and God comes to tear it down with suffering. It's that you didn't really have that much strength. And you thought you did and God's coming to show you how little you have. It's for your good. He's he's showing you what is true. I I read this quote from A.W. Tozer today that I think is amazing. George Guthrie quotes, How completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. I love that line. How completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. Sometimes God will allow suffering to let us see our own limitations so that we will turn to Him because He doesn't have any. Last one. Paul believes this, here's a longer one, that the point of history is to display God's character so that people can respond in praise and thanksgiving. It's a long one, so I'll read it again. The point of history is to display God's character so that people can respond in praise and thanksgiving. And so Paul believes that this is... Um, The point of what everything is. Here's what he says at the end of Romans 11 and then into 12. He says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul says, everything from him, to him, for him, all of it is about God. So to him be the glory forever. And then he goes into this in Romans 12.1. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul believes that the point of history is to display God's character. But let me say this. He believes that the point of world history is to display God's character, and he believes that the point of your own personal history is to display God's character. So that people can respond in praise and thanksgiving. Um, he says in verse eleven here at the very end, you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says, "So I am well. I am willing to suffer. Paul does not seek suffering. That's important to say. Paul doesn't try to find suffering for suffering's sake, and neither should you. Neither should we. we the point is not suffering just for the sake of suffering, so we can feel good about ourselves, but." Paul does not avoid suffering at all costs, and neither should we. Paul is willing. He has a higher value than suffer or not suffer. It is God and His glory, and I will aim towards that, and if suffering comes, suffering comes. Um, but he is willing to take that. In verse 11, he says, man, if, if God delivers me, then everybody can see it and they can praise God for his deliverance, for bringing this to me and saving me from this. And if God doesn't deliver me from it, then everyone can see the kind of endurance he gives me and they can praise God for that as well. Where they can see the way that I choose him even in the darkest of times. They can see how incredibly valuable God is that Paul wouldn't give him up even if it meant saving his own life. That Paul says that this is, he's still worth it and that is an opportunity for people to see God's character displayed and for um, people to praise him for, for that. Um, this brings up questions. If, if you are... If you are um, not a believer, or maybe even as a believer, you have this question: Is that okay for God to use my suffering for His glory? Um, can He do? Is that not needy? Is that not petty? Um, there, there's an answer to that, and I don't have time for that answer right now. Um, but I, I, I would love if, if you got to know it tonight, then come talk to me afterwards and let's talk about it. And, and if, you, if you want to try and search it out, then go home, read, try and search it out. We'll, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, at some point this year. But, but I'd love to chat with you about it. If, if that's something that rolls around in your brain, is it okay for God to, to let me to suffer for his own glory? Um, Paul believes it is, and I do believe that it is as well. So now we come to this. Um, what do we do with this? How does this affect our life? Because admittedly, our life is not the same as Paul's. Paul, in his calling to be a believer and to be a minister, from the get-go, God says, I'm calling him to suffer for me, and Paul's life is marked by it, and, and I don't believe that we are called to the same level, most of us at least, of suffering that Paul did, um, but I do believe, as Christians, that we are expect we should expect to experience it. It's different, though, our world from theirs. They lived in a world back then where where to become a Christian often meant persecution of some kind. And here in the Bible Belt, U.S., that does not equate. That does not seem to be the case. So then, how do we live out the five truths we just talked about in our lives today? Let me just give you a few quick things. Um, uh, kind of, yeah, just bullet point through these, and then. We'll wrap up. First is this. We trust God's character in good and in bad times. So we trust Him. If, if, if what gets Paul through is not looking at himself and finding peace within himself, is not choosing to say, how can I get stronger from this? But if what gets Paul through is knowing the character of God, then it's important for you to study and know the character of God before hardship comes so that you can cling to those truths when, they come, when, when difficulty comes later. And we trust that in His character, whether things look good or bad for us. Um, second, we do not make worldly comfort or ease or a painless life our highest goal. As it is with so many of us in the Western world today. Um, we have so many forms of technology and modern comforts that keep us from having to experience pain, which I'm grateful for, which I, um, am, yeah, I'm thankful for those things, but it can train us sometimes to think that the highest end goal is pain avoidance, and it's not. You and I, as followers of Jesus, those of us who are, we have something higher that we live for, and we do not build our lives around avoiding pain. We don't, we don't seek it out either but we don't build our lives just around avoiding it at whatever cost. We are ready to face it when it comes. And last, we live in such a way that causes people to give praise to God. Whether things are good for you or things are bad for you, whether you're going through a really easy period or really hard time, we are, we are meant to live in such a way that displays the character of God, that people look and they want to praise Him and and. and Pour out thankfulness to Him for that. Those three things we're actually going to have an opportunity to kind of start with some of those. We're going to we're going to take a few minutes here um, to sing about some of God's character, and and to think on those things and to praise Him ourselves um, with thankfulness and gratitude. And so, um, what I want to do is give you a moment. I want to give you a moment to reflect. Um, on on these three things that we trust in the character and goodness of God that we don't make worldly comfort our highest goal and that we live in such a way that being brings praise to God's people and I want you to just ask where God may be speaking to you in one of those where he might be asking you to grow or to change in one of those areas and then I'll pray and then we'll sing so take a moment